Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisela. Welcome to Business as Unusual. This is Aisela, and I am very excited to be here with Lori today. We're going to talk about her business. But before we get into that, what is a hobby of yours that you think might surprise folks? I am actually a certified scuba diver. And That's- there's so much to be discovered under the water. Brilliant, vibrant colors are amazing. The shapes and sizes of what under the water is not necessarily something that we see above the water. And it's just a calming, beautiful experience. Although as I've aged, I've become a little bit claustrophobic. And so diving is hard and I have to work at it to actually be able to, number one, get down. And then once I'm down, stay down. I was going to ask about that, the claustrophobia or just the weight of water. I've done surface level scuba masks and I've never even thought about doing an actual scuba dive thing. So I was like, I don't know if I could handle stuff all over me like that. I don't even like to sleep in a mask. It's an adjustment. It, having something on your face, breathing that way. I don't find the pressure of the water problem. I actually find it very calming and very comforting. And then you do get distracted once you're down there with what it is that you see and what it is that you can do. And most times you're diving in good, clear water, unless you're in Canada where I am, where nothing is clear. It's all (laughs) dark, gross and not fun diving. But when you're diving in some of the Caribbean and other waters, you can literally see up to the surface. So that actually creates a sense of comfort as well. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I definitely... There have been things in the news that I won't reference, but the that made me really think about that feeling of being underwater. And it actually gave me a panic attack. No, I should say a panic attack. That's diminishing what a real panic attack is. But it gave me a very inflate of enhanced sense of anxiety. It felt very panicky to me to even just consider it. That's um, what I'm talking about when I say I get a little bit. <laughs> I do have some discomfort around, which is new. It wasn't there years ago. Yeah. It's something that, again, in my later years has surfaced. So I do just have to work at it. And so my intent is to just dive a lot more frequent to get more comfortable with it and just float that away. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing. Your business that you are currently actively running, because I know you've done more than one thing in your life, is Lori Stanley Nonprofit Consulting. What inspired that for you? My firm is uniquely and creatively titled Lori Stanley Nonprofits Consulting. And so I empower nonprofits to deepen their social impact through clarity, focus, and strategy. The services are strategic planning, developing growth strategies for their organization, whether it's a startup, whether it's an established nonprofit, certainly have done charity work, social enterprise as well. And so also includes vision values and mission development and stakeholder engagement, outreach and engagement plans. And it's something that I would say to you started even in my childhood. And as a family, we were always involved in our community, both my mom and father, and then myself as a teenager. 
Some days it felt like our home was a revolving door with people coming forward to my dad with their differing needs. That sort of sparked that commitment and certainly grew those values in terms of being invested in community. And so I would say it's what led me down the path of nonprofit sector work. And my career has, for the most part, been focused on nonprofit organizations, but I certainly have worked within for-profit organizations, social enterprise organizations, and all at a local, provincial, and even a global level. And so in terms of how I landed in consulting, it was actually that globally-based social enterprise that I was working for. Diversified the company, and I started a stream of consulting. And I got hooked in doing that because I loved seeing how we could actually make an impact and help other nonprofits through the work that we were doing using some in-house specialty and expertise that we had and providing those services to other nonprofits or for-profit organizations. We actually had a number of for-profit organizations that we had contracts with. And I just seeing the impact and the outcome of being able to help other organizations move forward and achieve some of their goals. And then certainly I personally love the challenge of understanding customer or client needs and interests and how can I create a service that very much meets their needs. And then I'm not going to lie, I like the thrill of the chase, the marketing, the selling, and then ultimately being able to have someone say, yes, you can deliver for me exactly what it is that we need that would help us make a difference. It is. There's something very fulfilling, especially if you are a helper person in realizing the ways in which you can be part of somebody's solution and or help them feel a sense of relief. That's one of the things that I love is when I could see that the person I'm working with can they drop their shoulders and let out a sigh like, oh, it's okay. Like, I don't have to do this whole laundry list of things that I thought I can just do this two things that I'm already actually pretty good at. And it's all good. We all, I think, do this to ourselves. My experience is most of the people I know that I've talked to about it. So I'm making up a statistic, but there you go. Where we have this idea about how things are supposed to be. And then we try to fit ourselves into that instead of seeing how we are and working to achieve our goals with an understanding and compassion for that. And what I do is so much about that. Certainly in the nonprofit sector, it's a very demanding field. You have multiple stakeholders. You have the pressure of the day-to-day operations and activities that can pull you into that and pull you away from being strategic. You're constantly trying to appease your funders, your service users, your staff, and scope creep can slide in. And so the need to actually be able to focus, gain clarity, and use strategy, which is what my business is about, to actually help you achieve those goals is key to organizational sustainability and achieving ultimately their mission and their vision. I've spent my life being a catalyst for change, making an impact in the world for other people who face multiple barriers and vulnerability so that they can soar. That's the part that started through my family. So it's just something that's in my DNA. I love how you said that. And I appreciate that. It's a very clear way to explain, I think, a complicated process. And I think you answered this, but if you want to add on anything, obviously, like 
this is business as unusual. So is there something that you think of as being particularly unique or unusual about your either way of business or who you work with or what you're trying to achieve? In today's rapidly evolving landscape, the traditional approaches to strategic planning just are falling short. So there's lots of different changes that are unfolding with strategic planning and processes and difference in the kinds of plans that are being created. For example, embracing, you've maybe heard of the new concept of agile strategic planning. Mm -hmm. So in an era where there's such uncertainty and disruption, flexibility and adaptability are paramount. So agile strategic planning offers a dynamic kind of approach that enables organizations to respond swiftly to the changing circumstances. Need I say anything more than pandemic? Mm -hmm. And and sees emerging opportunities. And so by breaking down large-scale planning into smaller manageable cycles and fostering a culture of experimentation and learning, organizations can remain nimble and effectively address the evolving needs of their beneficiaries and stakeholders or aka interested parties. One of the other things that I would say is a little bit unusual these days when it comes to strategy and strategic planning are the ways in which stakeholders are being engaged. Successful strategic planning goes beyond the confines of boardrooms, engaging interested parties, including your beneficiaries, donors, your volunteers and staff in the planning process is vital to foster inclusivity, accountability, and ownership. And so by actively involving those diverse perspectives, you can unlock innovative ideas, build stronger relationships, and ensure that your strategy and your plans align with the needs and aspirations of those that organizations are actually serving. I've seen so many unique solutions come from stakeholders that organizations have been grappling with and struggling with. And when you just ask the people that you actually serve their thoughts and ideas, they come up with quite often very simple, rational, logic solutions to something that had seemed unseemingly complex for nonprofits. That does sound unusual and very effective. Do you have an example that illustrates some aspect of what you do or a part of it that you find interesting? One of the other things I would say in terms of, I w I'm not sure that saying it's unusual these days is a fair representation anymore because I think there's a, an understandable movement towards equity, inclusion, and diversity within organizations and certainly in the strategic planning processes. So that should just be a given for any organization, any process. So I wouldn't say that it's unusual. But addressing systemic issues, embedding diversity and decision-making and promoting inclusive practices key to a solid strategic planning process or developing any strategy. By way of the example, I worked with one nonprofit organization and they were a multi-service organization um, focused on developmental services and child protection. And they had a number of francophone communities because here in Canada, we are English and French speaking. We are also first inhabited by our Indigenous communities, and we exist on many treaty lands. And certainly in this community, they had a number of Indigenous communities, and they wanted to ensure that both the Francophone, the Indigenous, and any other particular stakeholders were engaged in a way that was inclusive and diverse. So we engaged some of their internal resources. 
they themselves had some relationships that had been established with knowledge keepers, with Indigenous leaders. They had an equity specialist. And so they were part of the strategic planning committee themselves. I had my own equity, diversity and inclusion specialist. I reached out to them and together we crafted a strategy. And when it came time to draft some of the questions about how we could, some of the ways we could engage those communities and some of the ways that we needed to create spaces for them to, number one, even consider um, engaging in the process, then number two, actually engaging in it. And then number three, making sure we created a safe, comfortable space and asked questions in a way that allowed for them to share their voices. So those were some of the strategies that we used to create uh, an inclusive, diverse process. And what we got in return were some real deep reflections, some critical feedback, and again, some solutions about what stakeholders, those groups, interested parties really needed that maybe hadn't necessarily been considered initially without having had that level of engagement. That sounds very effective. And who thrives with your service? So I would say that small to medium organizations who are powered by purpose and certainly are invested in their vision are folks that thrive when we work together. Organizations that understand and see the value of strategy and are looking to grow. And growth doesn't mean size. It can mean size, but it can also, and it doesn't necessarily have to be about money. It can be a new program. It can be a new direction. But certainly my services do include helping organizations scale or expand to a different region, again, to a different service, a different program, a different client population. And certainly, as I've shared already, folks who very much know that the quality of relationships amongst the staff they work with, their board and other interested parties and audiences are directly connected to their outcome and their performance. If people, if those organizations realize that relationship, those are folks that I work well with or do well within the services I provide and recognizing that it's important to engage those groups. And certainly nonprofits that are just getting started some work with charities, social enterprises at college and a government, a territory rather that I'm just starting to do some work with. Can you share some advice that you have received or that you go to that influences how you work? I can. I'm not sure that it was necessarily advice. I would say it's more something that I read because mm. I'm a bit of a a reader always around self-awareness and reflection and growth. And, and I can't just do one, sorry. Yeah. But judgment equals punishment. Whether we're judging ourselves about something we've done, not done, said, missed, whatever, or judgment of others, a level of punishment. So that's always stuck with me and is something I use as the guide in terms of, am I judging? Am I punishing myself or others? What expectations am I trying to meet? Mm -hmm. So this was a great one that really built a lot of self-awareness in me in terms of how am I measuring myself? What, what am I comparing myself to? What am I measuring myself against? And what I discovered, like not many other people, was that it was some really unrealistic societal expectations that have been socialized into me over the years. Mm -hmm. 
And another really powerful one is dismiss that which insults your soul. Mm. <laughs> and I can't say that I love this one, but I think it's an important one and there's merit in it, but feel it all, mm-hmm. including pain. Yeah. And pain is rising. So love, hate that one, but it is very powerful and very real. Yeah. I have a friend who is always saying, I'm realistic, but what they mean is they focus on the hardest things. And I see that a lot. I feel like there's this either or, like either pain matters or it doesn't. And I'm like, it's just part of things. It's like birth. There's a lot of like glorious beauty in that. And you have a baby and there's also a lot of pain. (laughs) It's just part sometimes of the process. And it can feel... Uh, it can feel like something people want to fixate on or avoid and when they can right size it. I think that's the most powerful place to be. I And I agree. It's also very difficult and it's not fun. Relatedly, like I had a chiropractor working on my foot and he said, new pain is good pain. New pain is good. And okay. it is. And it actually allowed me to embrace pain in general, not just the pain in my foot, but mm-hmm. to see pain as potentially a positive and an opportunity. At one point in my life, I realized that a lot of the least pleasant experiences I had were the result of attempting to avoid pain. And I didn't like that. And the facts bore it out anyway. So it's like, all right, that's something to keep in mind. Like, I may not like how I'm feeling. And avoiding it is likely to be more unpleasant than simply dealing with it. Yeah, it's not going away. It's the body trying to say, hello, hello. I've worked in, a lot of my work has been with trauma and people experiencing trauma. I appreciate that whole, the body, the body has memory, muscle memory, and it holds on to that trauma. That's actually something I should probably highlight as unique to what it is that I do. So one of the things that I would say that's unusual about this consulting service that I provide is I have a lot of background in trauma work. And so I'm very mindful in doing the work of when you're consulting with people who use the services and even any of the interested parties, that trauma may very well be a part of their life. And so ensuring that the process in any strategy development or strategic planning actually considers that some of your participants have and are actively still feeling that trauma and then creating a, a planning process that considers that, creating a space that they can participate or not, creating a space where they know they can tap out, knowing how to use the language, being mindful of how stories are shared, being able to be attentive to the body language and what's happening in the room, and basically setting up an entire process that that is respectful of trauma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how it's really important. Yeah, and a very strong part of this as a facilitator and a leader is knowing how to build rapport with people who may not necessarily want to engage or don't feel it's safe or comfortable. And so knowing how to create a space that allows people to share their voices and feel that it's valued and that it will be used in a meaningful way. That is really it is unusual and it's incredibly timely and important from my observation in the kinds of business we want to build that ability for people who have not felt safe and who have been in generational trauma 
And honestly, there's also the part of the folks who come from the generational trauma of not being oppressed, but being oppressors and Mm -hmm. not really dealing with the ways that has shaped their expectations of themselves and the world and maybe decreased empathy and really understanding that there's a partnership between the two types of behaviors. I think of it it, as someone who's feminine presenting or female presenting in dealing with the patriarchal stuff of, oh, men feel like they have control and power because they have more of this overt way of winning. And yet they lose so much in terms of being able to have that access to nurturing connected behaviors or empathy because they've been denied that experience or I don't want to say it like that, but they don't have that experience. It's They have a lot longer way to go to get the awareness of some of the stuff that women or women of color just know because they had to get it at a younger age. And that's not fair. It's a painful result of our system. But it's also interesting to see how that often gets left out, I think, of the conversation that, that being in the oppressive majority has its own generational traumatic impact that also has to be dealt with. It's just harder to have empathy for that. You're like, but you're fine. They're giving up food. So why do you like have to complain about this? But it's less about complaining and more about addressing that if we want to fix the system, we should fix the whole system. And we need the folks who have the power to understand that they want to fix the system too, because it does also benefit the people that they know and understand. It's not about giving up or giving away or charity. It's about full, complete healing and self-expression and innovative, functional communities. I get off my soapbox now. They have research, so I have been trained in this. It's called Person Brain. It's actually a fellow. He was born in Georgia, but he's in California right now. Created this whole training, learning on the brain. And part of learning from that is they've been able to see through imaging that trauma is actually passed on through DNA through cells, like you can literally pass intergenerational trauma down onto. We used to think that, of course, like if you're a parent with trauma, then, you know, kids are being exposed to that, that environment, but it's actually coming through the DNA as well. Scary. Yeah. No, they did that with the rats where they like abused them with the cherry flavor. And then like their grandbabies would run from the the smell of cherry. Like it was this weird, yeah, like we used to like brain and great grandbabies. It, I didn't we, do that. Yeah, well, no, they did this whole thing. And they like, I don't remember exactly. They like shocked them or something and made them smell cherry flavor. And it went down something like six generations of rats would run from the smell of cherry, which makes sense when you think about if you don't have written language, biologically, evolutionarily, being able to pass down danger genetically is a very sensible process. Wow. And... <laughs> we a lot of the trauma we have these days aren't necessarily about running away from a snake. And so it maybe it maybe doesn't serve us in the same way that it might have in the past. Wow. Yeah. You yeah. and I are you or I and I are in the same spaces like that whole person brain thing is exactly about that. The training was around the three parts of your brain. And when people are kicked into survival brain because it's snakes and what it looks like in this day and age and how you have to create a safe space to pull them out of the survival brain. That's oh, important. So Can you talk about what you do to keep yourself recharged and inspired? So I, I would say, interestingly, my path into this business actually hasn't been complicated or hard. A lot of people would 
understandably say growing a business is complex and it is, but I think I just came into it at the right stage of my life and the right mindset. And so for anybody who's thinking about starting your own business, you hear me when I say it calls your gremlins out because why would someone want to purchase services from me? What's my value? All of that. And so I was just in a great space when I started this. And I walked through a lot of this with just belief and faith that all will work out. And it has. There's been the odd moment where I'm like, okay, what's in the pipeline for business opportunities? What's coming next? And I just dialogue with myself in those moments about everything has worked out. Everything will work out. And certainly if I bump into something that goes awry, I chalk it up to a lessons learned. I embrace my perfections. I recognize I'm human. So I think a lot of those things are built in resilience that keeps me refreshed and keep me, keeps me recharged. But I read great authors like Brene Brown, Glennon Doyle, Kristen Naff, Fierce Self-Compassion. Um, and then I have an amazing group of cheerleaders in my life. And then from my earlier, some of those mentors are still with me. And then more specifically, I garden. I'm all about high impact hits, training. I love music. I dance. But I carefully pace myself so that I can do the best work that I can for the people that I'm here to support and serve so they can have the best of me. I love that. What does success look like to you? Success to me is different for each client that I work with. And I would say it's self-defined for them where they feel like they have strategies and tools to help them advance their mission and work towards their vision. For me, it's really being able to deliver what a client needs, what, a, what an organization is looking for at a personal level, feeling like I've shown up, that I've given my best. I can feel that. And I heard you say right off, in, in a lot of ways, the success that you measure your business by is the contribution you can make to the success of those that you work with. That's much better said. That's what you said. It's just the, the but I wanted to reflect it, make sure that was actually what I heard because it, it's, that's beautiful. For the folks that are listening that want to know more about what you're up to or follow you, your blog or your email or, or they want to make an appointment to talk about a company they're with or their company, how do they do any of that? All of it. Sure. So the easiest way to connect with me is just to reach out by email. And I am at Lori at nonprofitconsulting.ca. And Lori is L-O-R-I. And nonprofit consulting is all one word. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. You can get a really good sense of who I am, what I have to offer, glimpses of the work that I do. There's some lots of great tippets, snippets, valuable information. Mm -hmm. um, on LinkedIn, it's Lori Stanley Nonprofit Consulting. And my website is nonprofitconsulting.ca. There's some great blogs there. There's a free guide, plotting a course for success, seven essential strategic planning questions for nonprofits. And that's a great way to get on my email list. A little tip that I would pass on to whoever is listening that if you see any other consultants or different organizations out there, email lists are an awesome way to, those lead magnets are a great way to just get some really good pockets of 
education, information, and advice by just signing up. It's better for everyone, especially now the social media industrial complex is falling apart. (laughs) We have to be able to engage more directly again, which is nice. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate having you on. (music) 